Clinker Factor, the cement industry podcast. Welcome to the Clinker Factor, a podcast from WCA, which looks at the cement industry's response to climate change around the world and other topics of interest. I'm Ian Riley, CEO of WCA and your host on the Clinker Factor. Uh, today I'm talking to Matthias Mersman, uh, the CTO of KHD, in the fourth and final one of our series, uh, looking at technical improvements over the last 20 or 30 years and the impact that this has had on efficiency, energy efficiency, emissions, and particularly CO2 emissions. And today, rather than looking at the past, we're going to look forward to the future and what changes uh, we might see. So Matthias, maybe I could uh, uh, kick this off uh, talking about some of the uh, improvements that we've already seen. And one of them that really sticks in my mind is the improvement that we've seen in the power consumption uh, to produce clinker. So some of the uh, most modern plants that are being built in, in China these days are showing uh, clinker power consumption in the range of 42 or 44 uh, kilowatt hours per tonne. And then in addition to that, they're using waste heat power generation. So probably generating uh, 30 or perhaps slightly better than 30 kilowatt hours per tonne. So you've got a net 12 or, or, or 15 uh, kilowatt hours per tonne uh, to produce clinker versus uh, a global average, which is probably around 75 or 80. So perhaps this is uh, an indication of what can be done with current technology even before we start looking forward. Yes, Ian, that's right. Uh, and that's, uh, that's really impressive. And if you follow what has been the industrial reality for the last uh, few decades, and you see what uh, uh, our cement uh, engineer colleagues in China have been setting up and put into reality, that's really impressive. And it shows uh, what is possible today already if the, say, environment uh, around making these decisions is shaped appropriately. We know, of course, that in China, there are decisions and, and environments uh, being set up for making decisions, which are very strict and very stringent. And the uh, Chinese uh, cement producers, they adopt to it and it shows what is possible. Uh, that is absolutely true. I guess in, in the Western world, the uh, comparable uh, uh, electrical energy consumption is, uh, is uh, four or five times higher. So if we look forward a little bit, um, we've seen some, some plants built in the last few years with uh, six-stage uh, preheater systems. What, what other advances do you anticipate in, in the pyro systems of uh, cement plants? Well, first of all, the, the number of uh, stages in a, in a preheater should be corresponding to the amount of energy you need for drying the raw materials. So if you are in a dry region, you can go along with a six-stage preheater and uh, generate uh, very low exhaust gas temperatures, while uh, if you have wet material, you need uh, more energy, so you will uh, have a higher exhaust gas temperature. But apart from that, of course, in a cement plant, there are waste heat gas streams, which can be utilized. And, and the Chinese example is showing that very nicely. I would see the uh, sequence of developments, uh, technological developments towards the decarbonization of cement production 
to run in waves along the timeline. And the first step will definitely be to increase the energy efficiency within the conventional technologies. And this will probably be the first step. Other steps uh, with increasing technological change and depth of technological change will come later on. And do you see uh, different fuels playing the role here? So we, we, we talked in the last uh, podcast about uh, alternative fuels, but uh, we also hear a lot these days about hydrogen and biogas and, and other uh, zero carbon fuels. Is, is that something we should be expecting? Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question, Ian. Um, of course, in this situation as we're in right now, everybody is uh, speculating and um, I would say the box is open. The box is open for thinking out of the box and naturally lots of ideas coming up now. Uh, hydrogen uh, is certainly one of the most prominent uh, representatives of alternative future fuels. However, um, we will experience that the generation of hydrogen is very expensive. And uh, in terms of CO2, it only makes sense if this hydrogen is green hydrogen. So that means you need renewable energy in order to produce it. Uh, and that means that you would have to either have a lot of solar power or wind power or, or whatever is accessi accessible for you in a specific case. And that is also referring to one specific we have to uh, look out for. In the future, I am expecting cement plants to be much more diverse uh, with respect to the material they are using, with respect to the energy scenario they are utilizing, with respect to other logistical site conditions, which they're bound into. For example, a plant at, at the seashore with lots of wind power available uh, would have easier play to generate uh, uh, green hydrogen uh, to, to utilize that in their energy scenario. Whereas another plant wouldn't have that opportunity, they would have to go different ways. Aside from hydrogen, the other thing that we've uh, heard a lot about over, I guess, quite a few years now is, is the use of, uh, of algae to create a uh, I suppose, a, a CO2 cycle. Uh, so the, the algae is grown with the CO2 that's captured from the exhaust from the, from the kiln uh, and, and then is burnt as a fuel. Is that something that uh, you would anticipate being viable in, in the near future? Yeah, that's also one of those uh, technological uh, proposals that seem very far away. Uh, I can answer you that I did believe that uh, almost uh, 15 years ago, uh, because then I started an R&D project myself uh, on this attempt to close the cycle, uh, to grow algae with the CO2 off gas, and then um, uh, have a shortcut cycle drying that algae with cooler waste heat gases, and then use these algae as a fuel. Uh, sounds good, uh, sounds uh, elegant, uh, however, what we, uh, what we are limited with in this, uh, say, biochemical closed loop uh, process is the growth speed of the algae. And it requires several uh, magnitudes of uh, growth speed increment. 
So I guess this is more or less uh, related to genetic engineering to provide enzymes uh, that allow these algaes to grow a thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand times faster than they do today. Yes, yeah. So that, that's uh, very much the issue when when we talk about using uh, wood chips or bamboo as, as fuel. It's the same kind of issue. It's the the quantity of space that you need for for the in process storage of of the growing uh, you know wood or growing algae is 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 a big issue. Yeah, and let's not forget it's it's not only. I mean, you you mentioned the point the uh, amount of area you need to grow bio uh, biomass. Uh, at some point we will get into conflict with nutrition, with uh, rightful nutrition demands to feed them people. So uh, it's, I think it's doubtful. Um, maybe there is again, one individual case where it makes sense, but on, on the wider scale, I don't think that, th that this will be uh, a wider, uh, more general technology. Yeah. So um, is there anything else that we should talk about on the, on the pyro systems before we look at uh, milling? Well, definitely. There is a whole lot uh, that is inside the box that is being discussed very intensely among the specialists. Uh, as I was alluding to earlier, uh, I expect the first step to be uh, consisting of energy efficiency improvements within the conventional technology, like waste heat recovery and, and all kinds of energy efficiency measures. Uh, next thing, of course, is uh, CO2 capture. Um, again, pilot plants have been set up already. Uh, we know this is a readily accessible technology. Um, consisting of something like a bolt-on uh, end-of-the-pipe technology to capture uh, CO2. Again, there are different technologies available. We're going to see this happening uh, in very short time already. Then the next technological step would be to not only uh, capture the CO2 behind a conventional kiln plant, but run this kiln plant in oxyfuel conditions which requires an oxygen source, uh, which can be electrolysis, which, ca which can be air separation uh, through cryogenic or, or membrane or whatever. And then we're gonna see that this, this technology is, is going to be developed and maybe implemented within late this decade. Um, we see that uh, the cement producers are requesting these kind of technologies already now because they have to set up pilots in this decade in order to get those uh, decarbonization plans realized. So, so the, the point of the oxy-fuel combustion is that you produce a pure or fairly pure CO2 as the exhaust gas, and therefore you can capture the whole thing. Is, is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. Carbon, uh, carbon capture with amine scrubbing behind a regular kiln plant uh, is very expensive mm -hmm. uh, because the concentration uh, of the carbon dioxide in the off-gas is not very high. Uh, so you have to spend a lot of money for this capture plant. Uh, and the logical consequence is if you can recirculate the off-gas and just dote it with uh, additional oxygen just as much as you need to burn your fuel, you will be producing an off-gas with something like 90 or 95 or 85, depending on specifics, uh, percent of CO2. So that makes capturing uh, much easier, or you might even find utilization ways to use this without additional concentration. That brings 
brings us to another important subject. What do we do with the CO2 once we've captured it? <laughs> Again, this, this addresses a whole range of technological solutions. Yes, and there's a lot of uh, very interesting uh, developments in that area, and which we've touched on, I think, in, in, in some of the previous uh, podcasts. Um, and I think, uh, you know, today, if, if we said, well, what is really proven technology, then I'd be using the uh, uh, aiming uh, stripping system for capturing the CO2, and then storage, I think, is probably considered now to be proven technology, but is, is very expensive. I guess it, it, that leads to two problems. One is the investment required to, to realize that, and the other is the possibility that having spent that money, it may be that there are much lower cost ways of doing it in the future. Yeah, maybe also, um, these, I mean, undoubtedly, uh, there will be the need for investment and cost both in CAPEX uh, and OPEX will go up. Uh, I think there is, no, uh, it would be naive to believe we would get along with the same cost base like we have now. And maybe the costs necessary can only be borne if we come to a cross-sectoral cooperation uh, between the cement production and other industrial processes in order to integrate um, their energy and their mass flow uh, scenarios into each other to, to take synergetic effects on both sides. It is well possible that we will see a renaissance of what we know in Germany as a combinat, which has been a tradition in the former uh, Federal German Republic to, to uh, combine different types of industrial activities in order to get synergetic effects in the energy and mass uh, flow sheets. Um, the, the important message uh, at this point is just, uh, I think it's, it's fair to say there are thousands of engineers uh, over the world uh, working on these issues with high pressure. Uh, and the most important uh, understanding is that we'll have to come up with pilots this decade. Absolutely. So just moving on to, uh, to milling, we, we talked about the improvements in, a, in an earlier podcast. Um, are there uh, other new opportunities to uh, reduce that further on the horizon? Yeah, if we talk about milling and we may take follow the same sequence like we did in pyro, we'll have to uh, accept the fact first that milling is one of the most inefficient processes man ever operates on earth. Uh, there is something like maybe five or six percent of the total energy which we put into a milling plant that is actually used for uh, uh, comminution for particle surface generation. But uh, it seems like we have no other choice. Um, if we make the switch from ball mills to high pressure grinding uh, technologies like VRM or roller press or uh, other uh, devices working on high pressure, we can almost double the efficiency. So that corresponds to make, lifting it from three to 6% or from two to 4%. Uh, still, we're wasting a lot of energy, but there is no way around it. So we have to accept it at one time. Still, with respect to grinding technologies, we're gonna see some innovation um, will be driven mainly by new requirements we put on the products. Uh, if we change the raw materials, if we change the cementitious supplementary 
materials we add into the mixture in order to create uh, cements of new types. Um, we will certainly generally reduce the hydraulic perfection of this mix uh, by adding something different than clinker. If we reduce the clinker factor, then uh, naturally we will arrive at a higher demand uh, towards higher fineness of cements. And this will call for uh, highly efficient, but also plants which are able to reach uh, thresholds like for example, 7,000 Blaine or maybe 8,000 Blaine in the future. And that is a range that is not really achievable uh, by uh, vertical roller mills and roller press plants. So the highly efficient grinding uh, technologies will not by themselves easily reach this, this quality, this fineness. So we're gonna see probably a combination of, of another high fineness grinding uh, technology in combination with the highly efficient high pressure grinding technologies. Mm. And the high fineness grinding, is, is that going to be bore mills again or is that going to be something else? Actually today already there is a trend to, uh, to reactivate the uh, sometimes in some regions forgotten bore mill to run it after uh, uh, roller presses or after uh, vertical roller mills to achieve just that, to improve uh, cement quality and arrive at higher fineness. However, if you take a ball mill, uh, your energy uh, deficit is, uh, is immense. And uh, I cannot believe that this should be the end of uh, our technological development. It may take a while, but uh, there are some other uh, proposals around which need to surely mature uh, in, in the um, utilization in a robust industry like cement is. But I guess there, there's going to be an alternative to the ball mill, I guess. Okay. So perhaps a good uh, move from uh, milling to look at uh, the, the products that the cement plants may be making in the future. So I, I think we've seen well, some of that potential, I guess, with uh, the move from OPC to LC3 in a few markets. Uh, is, that, is that something that you would anticipate becoming more widespread? We will definitely see that um, the, the lever here is clinker factor reduction. And uh, naturally, uh, if we pre-assume that the uh, amount of concrete will more or less uh, remain to, to be on the same level, which I believe, um, then we'll have to substitute uh, this clinker with uh, a different material. And uh, that's gonna be probably uh, also uh, not, uh, not only uh, lime-based material, but also clay-based material, calcium clay, LC3, uh, well-known subjects and well-known technologies. They, they are going to find their way into, into the cement world, I'm sure. The problem here is whatever composite cement you are going to create, uh, in order to have it used by the building industry, it needs to fulfill the standards and norms of quality and safety. Nobody will build a highway bridge or a skyscraper with a type of material that is not passing the quality and standard criteria. So uh, the problem here is that 
these procedures are judging on the durability on many years and we don't have that much time uh, to, to make an experiment and, and wait and see whether LCE3 is good after 20 years. So there's a, there's a conflict built in in this, in this matter, but I'm sure the necessity to decarbonize is so strong that uh, whatever is possible to reduce clinker factor will be done by the, by the cement producers, I'm sure. And, and we're gonna see a lot of different types of admixtures and, and composite cement types. One of the possible trends, of course, is that we could see the use of higher strength concretes in smaller quantities. Uh, so th this is something that, that there have been some studies done on that, that have shown that by using higher strength concretes with better cement and, and typically, of course, higher clinker factor cements, you can actually reduce the overall amount of clinker in, uh, it, that's required for the building. So I, th I think what, what this does is it, it, it underlines the, the need for the whole supply chain to work more closely together. I think in, in designing buildings, the, the architects and, and uh, engineers that are designing the buildings are not trying to optimize the CO2 in, in the construction materials. And this is an area that we've talked about for a long time, but it's actually very difficult to work on in a practical way. Is, is that something that it's a, it's a little bit outside the cement plant, but obviously it impacts what happens in the cement plant. Is it something that you think has, has mileage in it? Yeah, that's, it's a good point. Uh, and again, it addresses uh, an intensification of cooperation um, between, uh, well, industrial sectors, which might have been adjacent in the past and might to intensify their integration. Uh, and, and just as much as the cross-sectoral uh, cooperation will increase, I guess, as things are getting tighter and tighter in, in their requirements and the requirements ever more stringent, everybody involved needs to, to find the potential uh, within his reach. Uh, and it's, it's not only uh, the example you just mentioned, uh, there, is also, there are also lots of ways to reduce the overall carbon footprint in the concrete area and in, in, in the building industry, as you mentioned. Uh, numerous uh, proposals are being discussed and, and displayed. Uh, curing concrete with uh, CO2 has just won the prestigious prize uh, as one of the most efficient uh, technologies to reduce the overall footprint. So um, some people raise the question, what is going to be the, the uh, dominating decarbonization technology in the future? I find it always hard to answer that because the pressingness of the issue will, for my understanding, force us to use all of that. Yes, yes, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there, there are lots of good ideas there, and I think it will uh, be necessary to use many of them. And, and over time, of course, we'll figure out what the optimum is. But... Mm -hmm. And it, there, there will be a development over the time. You know, there will be some bridge technologies um, which help us uh, on, on the first run, but they will be then exchanged by more efficient ones, which are not available today. So there will be a development. Yeah, I think one of the other things that's interesting uh, in terms of the impact of COVID is that it's accelerated the adoption of new technologies. Within the plants, we, we can see that uh, BIM technology has, has become 
I think, more, more popular as a result of companies needing to cooperate together and being limited in terms of their, their, their physical um, cooperation. Uh, so I think that as you see these uh, Industry 4.0 and, and BIM technologies uh, going forward, that the potential to facilitate the sort of cooperation that you're talking about is, is also being strengthened. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and the uh, the uh, example with the video conferencing among people using, uh, say, information technology. If you relate this to machines communicating to each other, you're exactly at in what we call Industry 4.0 or Internet of Things. It's the same thing. It's about the intensification of communication, uh, be it uh, among people or be it among machines. Hmm. Yes, I, I think that uh, paints quite a, an, an interesting picture of the, uh, the future of the cement industry. You know, we've, we've had an industry that has been, you know, pretty conservative and, and fairly homogenous in many ways uh, across the world. And uh, as you were mentioning earlier, it seems that the direction in which we're going, at least for uh, the next uh, several decades is likely to create an, uh, an industry that's much more diverse in terms of the technical solutions that are chosen uh, to produce cement at a much lower carbon footprint. Absolutely, absolutely. We have to, to we, we can realize that for the last, say, five decades, uh, the way to produce clinker was always the same. We're talking about a kiln plant consisting of a cooler, a rotary kiln, a preheater, and most of the plants, uh, a precared signer, and that's it. And if we uh, look now, what we, what we are looking at, uh, not always, not only talking about oxy-fuel plants, but there are so many other things like carbonate looping, uh, uh, capture, uh, waste heat recovery, all this produces a diversity in that uh, basic flow sheet of uh, cement clinker production, like we never had in the, in the last five decades. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's, it's a wide and deep field. All these uh, potentials in in automation, uh, everything that comes with digitization, will play an important role. We briefly touched uh, IoT or Industry 4, 4.0. Um, artificial intelligence, online optimizers, uh, again, connectivity, uh, uh, intensified communication uh, will also play an important role. Uh, but that's, again, something that is building on technology that is available today already, like, like waste heat recovery. We're going to see uh, lots of uh, artificial intelligence driven online optimizers in, in the next uh, few years already. Uh, that will also be an important uh, step for our industry to take. And uh, if you compare our industry to other industries, we have to admit that we are not the fastest one uh, to adopt to these. Uh, there are numerous studies around which always show the cement industry in the later thirds of, of adaptivity to these. But this is because of the complexity of this process. We have to admit, uh, we're dealing with natural substances. We're dealing with uh, huge size equipment. Uh, and it's not so easy to, to apply these technologies to our production process. Yeah, so the picture that you, you paint is, is an exciting one. 
And uh, I think one that hopefully will make the cement industry more attractive to talented engineers and, and scientists uh, to work in in the future. I agree. If, if you're looking for a really challenging, interesting industrial engineering job, I can only recommend the cement industry. Yes, well, with that, uh, Matthias, perhaps we should wrap up uh, today. It's been, uh, it's been great fun doing these, these four podcasts together with you. I'd like to uh, thank you very much for, for all of them. Thank you very much, Ian. It was a pleasure for me. And uh, perhaps we can find uh, an excuse to do some more in the future. <laughs> I'll be with you. All right. All right.